was birthed out of Romans 12, 2, that God, that scripture just had been going over in my mind over and over again. If you put that up there, Nathaniel, uh, where it says this, no, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so many times we, we miss how we are not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And that's what in my spirit just was going over. He tells us by, being by the transform of the renewing of your mind. So when he's saying don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, it does deal with don't, you know, you're a born-again believer. You shouldn't be doing and living the same way you used to, not only physical things, but, but he says, notice what he points to, renewing of your mind goes beyond physical actions, okay? So he says, says no longer should you live like they do and participate in the things the world does, but you need to begin not to think like the world does, that you are to have a renewing of your mind. And only once your mind's renewed, thinking on the things of God, the way God thinks, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's where this message was birthed out of, that first thing where it says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because I had mentioned last week that, you know, when God took his people out of Israel, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and he was taking them and promised them the promised land, they, it was for them to enter right away. They weren't supposed to go around for 40 years. You see, they, they became free when God freed them and led them out of, of Egypt. But guess what? Their mind still had a slave mentality. You hear me? They still thought like they were, they were free, but their minds weren't free. When anything they would face, when troubles would come up and their fate would be tested, guess what they always said? Wouldn't it have been better that we go back? Let's go back. We've been crying to God for 400 years to bring us out. And now that we're out, we, our mind hasn't changed and we're ready to go back. So that's why I want to put our proclamation up there right now, thinking about this. And uh, so you can see what we always uh, say. And I want you to repeat after me this morning. Say this. Today, I will be the person God created me to be. In Christ, I am a victor, not a victim. We have to get out of the victim, the slave mentality. It says we, we are a victor, not a victim. And uh, next it says, I am more than a conqueror. So as I say that, I am more than a conqueror. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you realize this is all from the Word of God? That's what God says about you. But most people don't believe it. They don't live it. We need to renew our mind. And uh, Again, so... Let's look at a, a different situation here. In John 8, 31 and 32, this is the first notes on your page here. It says this, Jesus was speaking to some of the uh, Jews. Uh, again, now he's speaking before he went to the cross. He says this to the Jews who had believed him. Okay, they, they believed what he was starting to tell them. Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He says, then you will know the truth. So circle truth. And the truth will set you free. Now what, what's going on here is he's talking to them. that they're, uh, they're under the control of Rome, but they still had freedom to worship their God. 
And in their minds, they were, they were saying, well, what in the world are you talking about? We're not slaves. We're free. But Jesus is saying, no, you're not free. He says, if the truth will set you free, and I'm the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, they were, in, they were slaves to believing a lie that serving and, and doing their religion the way it was, with, that they were okay with God, that relationship was res- restored. And that's what I want you to understand. With, with they, they did not even realize. They thought they were free, but they weren't. So I could be free but still have a slave mentality, or I could think I'm free and not even be free. And John 8, 36 says this, So if the Son sets you free, and I, t- I told you last week that original word means to liberate. He says you will be free indeed. And that word free means to unrestrained and as a citizen. How many of you know you are now a child of God? Because that cross changed everything. When we believe. So we have to understand that we are in the same thing like the, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt when we get born again. God, God wants to transform us, but it begins with the renewing of your mind. Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something you earn. It's not something you do. It's having faith, believing and having faith that Jesus Christ died on that cross for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not by works. Nobody's in heaven today because of good works. It's only because of the blood of Jesus Christ that someone's in heaven. Now, does God want us and, uh, to do good works? Yeah. The Bible says... For you were created in Christ Jesus uh, uh, to do good works. Purpose, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. And we will give an account to God for the way we live our life. You see, we don't earn salvation, but we are accountable for our life after. It says this. So on your next uh, notes here, I want you to understand the word of God is the absolute truth. The word of God is the absolute truth. And I mentioned last week, when God told Adam and Eve, do not eat from this tree or you will surely die. Was that truth or not? It doesn't matter that Satan came along and convinced them that, it, that oh no, you know, and we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night, was that when, he, when Satan repeated to them, he says, you, if you eat from it, you will be like God, your eyes will be open, and you will, uh, you will know good from evil. But you know what he left out? But you will surely die. See, God's word brings order in life, and God's word brings peace. Satan word, Satan's word brings death and chaos. Think about it. God's word brings life, Peace and order. Satan's word brings chaos and death. But guess what? When he, when he repeated what God said to Eve, he left out 
the death part. You see, and he was mine. He was promising me more, but he delivered death. So the, the Bible tells us, be alert, be aware. Again, that the battle that we talked about a few weeks ago, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, who, who's going to buy into his lies instead of realizing the truth of what God's word says. So the, the, tr- the word of God is absolute truth. Whether you believe it or not, doesn't make it untrue. It's not, it's not God giving you advice. It's God telling you this is the way it is. Now we can take it or leave it. But it doesn't make it untrue. So the word of God, which is absolute truth, plus my faith equals spiritual success in my life. And we talked about this last week again. The word of God plus my faith, doing what God's word says, my faith is beyond believing. Believing is dealing with the soul of man, your mind, will, and emotions, your belief. It's in the natural. But faith is in the supernatural. Belief and faith are very alike. Belief deals with my mind and what I choose to believe. Faith is spiritual. It's like believing but spiritual side, the natural side and thing. And we have to understand that Jesus always told them, you know, oh, ye of little faith. Or all, or he even called them an unbelieving generation. When my belief and faith line up with God's word, then spiritual success happens. Now, the Bible says that, uh, that it's God's will that all should be saved. Is all saved? No. It's his will that all should be saved. But it's only those who accept Jesus Christ. You see, it's for everybody, but guess what? It's only for only ones who have salvation is the ones who believe. See, so my, God's word is the absolute truth. He died for everybody, Jesus Christ. But it's only those who believe and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that are saved. Okay? Is that making sense? That's good enough for a sip of water right there. Now, let's look at uh, Hebrews 11.1. It says, Now faith. And I put in parentheses uh, the word now. Uh, I'm the one that added that for you in case you didn't feel like circling it. But now faith is being sure of what we hope for, what we're believing for, and certain of what we do not see. In other words, it is we are to believe and hope for being certain of before it's manifested. It's easy to believe in something once it's happened. But this is saying in the waiting, you still believe. Now, that word now faith is what I want you to understand. Is I have to have now faith, meaning right now in this moment. I may have had faith for something the other day, but what I'm facing today is that I need now faith for. Because what ends up happening is every time the enemy comes against us, we begin to doubt, we begin to worry. Anybody in here ever worried? Right? We all do. 
I don't want to ask if you're lying because I'd have to have a bunch of hands up there. You know? We all worry. We all stress with things. And guess what? That is, that is not having in faith that God, we're thinking, God, you're just going to leave me here. What's going on? Now, let me make this clear. God does not always say yes to all our prayers. Understand that. And I mentioned this last week. God is not in heaven to be your servant. To be, you're not Major Healy and he's not Jeannie. For my dream of Jeannie, that's going to grant you any little thing you want. We need to understand that we are his servants to do his will. And too many times we live our life trying to get God to do our will, what we want, and we're asking him to bless all these things we're doing instead of asking him to let us be part of what he's blessing. See, his will is going to be what's going to be blessed. His, his desire. So we have to understand that sometimes God says no. Sometimes the very thing we want and we're begging God for is the very worst thing for us. Sometimes as you go through years, you may say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer the way I prayed it back then. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? <laughs> you know, 10, 15 years later, you, Woo, I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted to. He knew better. You see, that's why when, the other week when we talked about praying in the spirit, he says on all occasions, pray in the natural, but also in the spirit, because our, our natural man doesn't always know what it should pray for. We're praying, God, yes, yes, and the Spirit saying, no, 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 no. Not now. The, the, the very thing you want is the thing that's going to destroy you. The very thing you want is going to be the thing that's going to pull you away from God. You know, and I've seen that many times before. People are so hungry for something, for God to do something for them, for God to answer their will. And sure enough, they, they, they do go serving the Lord for years with that praying for this thing. And the second God answers their prayer, in not long they quit searching for God. Because they weren't worshiping God. God was their servant. And they were waiting for God to answer that prayer what they wanted for their will. So again, Romans 12, 2, we went over do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So understanding that without belief, we don't have faith. I need to believe. I can't say I have faith in Jesus Christ, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. You hear me? That's why we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because how many of you know at one time in part of your life you might have thought, oh, that cross and all, that's all foolishness. Right? You have a witness to somebody and to them, that's all foolishness. But all of a sudden, once you become born again, you see it in a different light. And it's, it wasn't, you know. So we understand we have to believe. So if you look on your paper, <coughs> excuse me, I got four words there, uh, which we talked about before. But there are beliefs, what we believe, okay? And Nathaniel, you don't have to look, it's not in there. Uh, beliefs, it means what I believe or what I say I believe or what I think I believe. You know, we could, we could think we believe something, we could think something's a certain way and it not be. Right? Didn't Peter believe he would never betray Christ, never doubt him? 
He believed it, but it wasn't reality. So our beliefs, I, I could almost say this, our beliefs are what we believe right here, right now on Sunday morning in the pew. Ooh, we amen everything. <laughs> right? You say the word and woo, we believe it. But when the enemy comes tomorrow, we're not so much walking out those beliefs we claim we believe. And that's what, oh, I was going to turn to the screen for it. But the second word is values. And the way I explain values is, is what I actually live out Monday through Saturday. Right? It's a value. I mentioned before, you know, everybody knows that stealing's wrong. All right? We know in our minds stealing's wrong, but in, their, in people's hearts, they don't really believe. You know, because people steal. And when do they steal? You can't tell me they don't know it's wrong because they're stealing when you're not home. They're stealing at night. They're stealing not to be caught because they know it's wrong. But they don't, their belief is not what they walk out. It's not a value in their life. So I just want to tie that in is what we believe on Sunday morning is what we still need to walk out on Monday. I want to just look at the next verse on your page here. I'm watching the time here. Belief is what I have in my head, and we could also translate it as value is what I have in my heart. When God's word makes it from our head to our heart, what we live out. And let me just explain this for a second. See, the, the Pharisees and all that had head knowledge of what they believe. But Jesus came to show them that it's not about knowing and having it in your mind. It's about having it in your heart. Because the law does not change the heart. And that's when, when they asked Jesus about um, adultery, you know what he tells them? He says, you've heard it said that adultery is wrong. He says, you got it up here. We know that part, but he says it's beyond the physical act. He, he said, Jesus went and told him, he says, if you've committed adultery in your heart, you're just as guilty. You see, that, that, Jesus brought it to a whole nother level. He says it's not just the physical act, but it's the condition of the heart. What you walk out, what you believe. And, okay, and, and notice what it says here. And what I want you to understand, Mark uh, 9, 23 through 24. This was a, a man who had a son who was uh, possessed by an evil spirit and tormented by him and all these things. And he had came, but, but to G, brought his son to Jesus' disciples and they couldn't cast the spirit out. Now, when I, I'm trying to think of, you know, why would he bring him to Jesus' disciples? Because he believed, he was hoping that they could help, help his son. But they prayed for him, and guess what? It didn't help him. So he brings them to Jesus. And Jesus uh, says this. Put that scripture up there. Jesus tells them, do you believe it? it the man asks Jesus, if you can, help, help. In other words, he wasn't sure no more. Because he's seen the disciples pray for the boy, and the boy didn't get healed. Now he's beginning to doubt. And Jesus repeats what he says. He says, if you, if you can, said Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement. Everything 
is possible for him who believes. Everything, that's why our mind needs to be renewed. And Jesus is telling them, beyond your circumstance, beyond what you're seeing, beyond the struggle you're going through right now, if you could just get your mind to believe beyond the circumstances, beyond that the disciples prayed and it didn't happen yet, beyond that, he says, everything's possible. And this is, this is us. Uh, we're, we're, this is where we live our life, right here. This, exactly what the man said. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's, that's where we live life. We say and we know what we believe, but when struggles come and when it's not happening, when we want, you know what? This is right now that the, the man the disciples did not uh, he, uh, deliver the boy, and G he came up to Jesus, and Jesus is telling him, if I can, and you need to have now faith. It didn't happen a while ago, but do you have faith now as we pray again? That's now faith. It's faith in the present moment. Then we want to look at the next two things here. Next two words, vision. Vision is as I see myself. And this is where we got to catch. We just read our proclamation, but do you see yourself as free? Or do you still have a victim mentality, a slave mentality of the old life you used to have? Is vision, what, what the way I see myself, also what I intend to be, and God's vision for me. Okay? And God's, the way God sees me. Now that you are born again and in Christ, do you see yourself the way God sees you? I don't think we do. And then the last word, and we'll talk about these two things, is purpose. Why I exist. Why do I exist? What is my purpose? We know Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God prepared for us in advance. We know we have purpose. But how many of you know that the, the purpose of every believer is to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission? What's the great commandment? To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus said the second is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And until you do the first, loving the Lord God with everything, you'll never be able to love your neighbor as yourself. But as we're studying in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 talks about, it says, now living as children of light, it says, be imitators of God. And you ask yourself, how am I supposed to imitate God? But then he goes on to say, living a life of love. You see, that, that's fulfilling that great commandment. And the Great Commission is what? To go into all the world, making disciples, right? Look, we got two missionaries sitting up front right here, Brother Doc and Sister Pat. The Great Commission isn't just for them. You see, the Great Commission says go into all the world. Do you know the world exists right outside these doors? It doesn't mean go to another country. So many people think that, well, I'm not a missionary. I don't go. 
it's out these doors. Actually, it's in these doors too. Because lost people come in here. We have to share the gospel with them. So, vision and purpose. And I want to go back to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. <coughs> now, if, if you'd read verse 1, which I don't have in the computer. But this, this is, we're dealing with Gideon and it's going to talk about the way God, we're going to see how God sees Gideon. We're going to see how Gideon sees Gideon. But it's interesting the way it starts off. And it stuck with me this morning when I was just reviewing. It starts off by saying, again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then they became slaves, the, uh, the Midians and things. But listen to this statement. What it says, again, Israel, God's chosen people, did evil in the eyes of who? The Lord. And I started thinking about that. Did, was Israel doing wrong or evil in their own eyes? They might not have thought so. Do you realize we could do evil in the eyes of God and not think it's evil in our life? We could justify everything. Perfect example is today. We're going to have people raising their hands to a Greek God saying, bless me, bless me, bless me, throw me something. And you could justify it in your life all you want, but I want you to know, think about how do you think God sees it? Do you think God's seeing that as evil? He says, have no other gods before me, worship no other gods. And again, we could go back and justify yourself about, well, I'm not truly worshiping. Well, you know, you're there and you're not here. We came here to worship the King of Kings. And so many people are, I'm taking this Sunday off to go raise my hand somewhere else. You see, it may not be evil in your eyes, but you have to, it's him. And I believe Israel too, again themselves, they just fell into the daily routine and did not think they were doing evil in their own eyes because Gideon was trying to figure out what had happened. Let, let, let's start in verse 16. I mean verse 11. The angel of the Lord came, sat down under the oak in Ophrah and, uh, <coughs> that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midians. Now, let's stop there for a second. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. How many of you know a wine press is not made for threshing wheat? In other words, he's scared and hiding. Because every, time, every year in harvest time, the Midianites would come down and steal everything everybody grew. So he's scared and hiding. So the angel of the Lord comes down, finds Gideon, Threshing wheat in a wine press to hide because he's scared. And notice what it says. Again, we're, we're talking about vision and purpose. He says, uh, verse 12, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Think about that. Where is he? Hiding? Anybody coming? Fearing that everything's going to be stolen. But yet, what God sees is his potential. 
God sees what he can be. And he see, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, uh, the Lord is with you. He didn't say the Lord will be with you. He says the Lord is with you. How many of you know that sometimes the Lord's with us and we don't even realize it? The Lord's always with us. Verse 13 says, but Gideon, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us. He's questioning the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you. And he's, I'm not so sure about that. Because what I've been seeing, I'm not so sure he's with us. See, that old devil gets you to believe things that aren't true. That enemy gets you to believe that God has abandoned you, that God don't care about you. But it's a lie. You got to believe what the Word of God says. At, uh, verse 13 says, uh, But Sir Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Think about this. Now, what he's saying is, I don't understand why the Midians uh, are doing all these things to us. That's why I got back to the point is I don't think they realized what they were doing was evil in the eyes of the Lord. They, were, they justified their own lifestyle, and that's what people do. They justify sin in their life for this reason or another, and they're doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they're wondering why their life is in chaos. What verse are we on here? Uh, okay, verse 13, I'll start again. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our forefathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. I'm going to be with you. Am I not sending you? Well, guess what? He still didn't believe her. Verse 15, Gideon says, but <laughs> that three-letter word is such a stumbling block for Christians. But, Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? And the, he starts really building up his family here. My clan is the weakest in all Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. He's trying to give God every excuse he can to not be able to overcome the enemy because he's scared of the enemy. God's telling him, you can and you will because I am with you. And he's like, I don't think I can. Right? Because what? His mind needs to be transformed. He's seen them lose so many times and the Midian come so many times and steal things from them that he doesn't believe it's possible that they can overcome them. God's telling them, yes, you can, and he's saying, yeah, I don't think. And he tells them, how can I? And he says, my, my clan is the weakest. My family's the poorest. 
my family's the weakest, the poorest. They, we don't have nothing. And he says, and out of all this poorness and puris, I'm the puris one. <laughs> At the family picnic in July, I'm always picked last or for the baseball team. I'm the puris. Don't pick me. Don't pick me. And he'd rather stay threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding from Midian than trusting God. Verse 15, but Lord getting asked, how can I save Israel? And he goes through all this. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I am with you. And that's what we need to understand. I am, I will be with you. He is with us. So on our page here, uh, the cross sets me free. I want you to read right now this very first part with me, Galatians 2.20. It say this, I have been crucified. I don't know, let's go back. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's read that all together again. I have been crucified with, well, I need a, I need a kindergarten teacher to come help me here. We, we're having trouble getting everybody reading. All right, let's read it all together right now. Ready? One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You need to get that beyond head knowledge into your heart and realize that you've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you, but he that lives in you. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I, through the cross, I've overcome the world. <coughs> Thank you, Sister Hazel. Amen. He says, this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But on all these things, we have to re refocus our thoughts that realizing that no matter what I'm facing, I've been crucified to Christ and I no longer live. But he lives in me. Amen. So Romans, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the cross set me free from guilt and condemnation in my life. The cross sets me free from guilt and condemnation. You know, uh, so many people try and, after they're born again, still live with guilt and regret from a past life. I read something the other day, and I posted it, and I hope I quote it right. It says, nobody can go back and start a new beginning. We can't go back in time. But he says, everybody can start today and have a new ending. You hear me? We can't go, but we wish we could have changed things in the past, but we can't. So we can't live in that guilt. That's what Satan wants you to do is throw that guilt on you and have you burdened down with guilt and things. And it's like putting a rock in a backpack and you carrying that around your whole life. And God says, I've set you free from that. I don't hope, but as far as the east is from the west, have I forgiven your sins? He's freed us from guilt and condemnation. Uh, again, Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, there is now, today, no condemnation. How much condemnation? None for those who are in Christ Jesus. What did our scripture say? I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's Christ that lives in, in me. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who live in Christ. So God does not hold it against you. Quit holding it against yourself. Let it go. And understand, we, we, we have a past and people remember our past. People will throw it up. But you have to remember what God says about you and not what people says, say about you. <laughs> 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, notice what it says, not people are faithful, He is faithful. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from what unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. God's let it go, so you need to let it go. It doesn't mean we don't learn from our past mistakes. We, we need to learn from those things. But don't let the enemy keep throwing that in your face of what you used to be. And he uses people for that. People will constantly throw that back up. But that's why we're in the, the message of the battle. It says that to stand firm. Pick up the shield of faith that stops the fiery darts of the enemies. When somebody says, oh, you rascal, you used to be, and they shoot that dart. Boom. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That, that, that was somebody else. Today is somebody new. Amen. I'm a child of God. Amen. Let, let's go on here. The cross gives me... <coughs> Victory over oppression of the devil. The cross gives me victory over the oppression of the devil. Oppression means to, to weigh down heavily. Uh, again, it also deals with the mental things, that, the stress and things weighs down. Satan tries, still tries to do that to God's children, but the cross has given me victory over that. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It says this. As you, as for you, you were dead. That's what we need to remember. That's what we need to believe. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is Satan, the spirit, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. But the cross ended the devil's unchallenged power over your life when you became born again. See, when you were lost, you were in, under his control, but now that you are born again, Christ lives in you and gives you victory over that oppression in your life. Acts 10, 38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, and notice this, healing all, circle that, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The cross changes everything. Number three, the cross heals my sickness and suffering. The cross heals my sickness and suffering. This in Isaiah 53 is a prophetic word of speaking of the Messiah coming and it says this, Listen how Jesus, is, don't think Jesus had this great life. He suffered everything we suffered to, to give us victory over this. It says he was despised. How many of you know being despised is not a good feeling? He was despised and rejected by men. He knows how it feels. And a man of 
sorrows and familiar with suffering. He knows all this, and he's went through all that so you, to give you victory over it. He says, like one from, uh, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And he was, uh, and, we, and notice what it says, we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, our sickness, and carried our sorrows. Now, this next part, I'll need you to understand why it says this. This is back to the Jewish people knowing, the, uh, not recognizing him as Messiah. It says this, surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He says, but yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. In other words, when they looked down upon him and said, you know, when, when he was on the cross, they were saying, you're on the cross because you're a blasphemer. Because you claim to be the son of God and we know you not. See, that, that's what it's talking about when he was smitten and uh, stricken by God. They, they were thinking God was getting his revenge on Jesus. But it was the furthest thing from the truth. And then it goes on to say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us what? His punishment brought us what? I don't know. Do you believe that? His punishment brought us peace, was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, that's what God's word says. So that cross changed everything, our sickness and suffering. Now, I want you to understand, we still live in a mortal body right now. And until the Lord comes back and our bodies are changed, we're still going to face death in this world. That, that we, we, we are born again spiritually for eternity, but these bodies are still mortal bodies. And you can read that in uh, Corinthians and, and uh, Thessalonians more. That we, We've talked about that more before. I, I have to go on time here. So uh, number four is the cross gives me the power to overcome anxiety and fear. The cross gives me power to overcome anxiety and fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, which means fear, did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God did not give us, you know where fear and all came in, anxiety? When man sinned. Think about it. They were in daily fellowship with God. They were naked. And we talked about this Wednesday night also. It, them being naked was an example of innocence. And I mentioned this, when you see a newborn baby right now, if you work in a hospital and they come out and they have no clothes on, does anybody walk up and, ah, put some clothes on it? <laughs> well, I'm talking just. Right? Is anybody so offended? No, why? Because when you see an innocent newborn baby it's innocence you see innocence and that's the way adam and eve were until they sinned and then it says they were naked and afraid and hid from god you see that sin brought all that in but god the cross changed it all and took that all away everything brought us peace and again did not give us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline in life uh, let me just share for a second. 
those of you that may not know, I was very a very shy person and would not want to speak to a stranger, much less in front of people, before I got saved. I, I always tell this story. We used to go, when I go to the bank, my mama may not even know all this, but just did not like being in front of people, especially new people, ner- be real nervous. I go at the bank drive through I'd make sure I go to the furthest window away from the people so I wouldn't have to face them. When I go grocery shopping, sometimes when I come home from work, my friend Billy would come with me. I'd make him pay, give him the money to pay for our groceries because I didn't want to talk to the cash register person. You see, that's what the enemy wants to keep you at. But as time goes by, God, now, I, now I'm running late. I can't shut up. You know, I didn't want to talk before. Now I can't shut up. <laughs> but God did not give you that spirit. Amen. The last thing is the cross gives me victory over debt. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is debt, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Now that, uh, in, in Christ Jesus our Lord, this is what I want you to understand. He didn't say the gift is life in this world. It's eternal life. The, these bodies, if, in, until the Lord comes back, we're going to keep still populating the graveyard eventually. But it says the day he's coming back, he says he's going to come down and we that remain, we that are still alive, says we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye that these mortal bodies will put on immortality and we will so ever be with the Lord. Guess what? How many of you love changing out an old car and getting a brand new car? Well, these vehicles that's high mileage and breaking down, you know, you're kind of going down the road a little sideways, a few squeaks and things like that. You're going to get a whole new vehicle to travel in. It won't be this model. The Bible says there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears of sorrow. That is going to be forever with the Lord. That's what the cross gives us. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. We're going to just ask you all to stand right now. We're just going to close in prayer. I know I talked to the worship team about coming up, but uh, I don't want people that live across the Baya to get stuck in traffic because they're going to be closing down uh, the streets. This is not giving you permission to go to the parade. It's so you could get home so you're not stuck uh, with it. Amen. But if you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, never accepted what the cross has done, for you. I want to give you that opportunity right now. So I just ask everyone just to repeat this simple prayer today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I admit that I fall short in many areas of my life, but I believe you love me so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I accept that forgiveness and I accept your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Amen. We'll see you uh, tonight. Guys, tonight, 6 o'clock, men's meeting.